Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. My name is Katrina Stanton. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm Stephen Zuber. And today's episode is going to tie over into uh, our next episode. It's a big topic and it's topical. It's election season in the United States of America. Yes. Are you doing an Elvis? No. That's kind of Elvis. Should I? You should. Do you sing? I love to sing. But but do you sing is a very interesting Uh, question. In a band? No. Okay. Actually, the number of Elvis impersonators goes up every year. Wow. Yeah. At least it was a few years ago. Maybe it's tapering off. Is there a Church of Elvis yet? Not until the Kings take over in New Vegas. Okay. So. Anyway, it's election season, so this is a great time to bring up the the very topical essay, Politics is the Mind Killer, and the reason that Lesseron kind of shies away from political discussion, and not from policy discussion, mind you. Um, there are a lot of economists talking about uh, different policies, and when you're talking about futuristic policy, you know, potential, then you're getting into policy. It's really hard to avoid that. But uh, we want to try to avoid touching on the uh, red team versus blue team kind of politics. I will write the prediction that somebody will write in pissed about this, or at least somebody will be at home quietly pissed about this. Some, <laughs> something we're going to say is going to bug somebody, but... Why? Uh, People go funny in the head when talking about politics, right? I uh, I would assume that's something we say pisses off someone every single episode. That's that true. Get. So that's that's a fairly safe prediction for me to make then. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that we've established ourselves as not too into one of the candidates. Right. And it's a specific candidate, and his last name starts with a T. And it ends with a rump. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was unplanned and hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we can leave candidates out of it. I don't yeah, think we don't need to talk about it. candidates. We don't need to talk about candidates because just like um, Eliezer Yukowski's essay, Politics is the Mind Killer, once you get into candidates and it things get a little bit difficult to hold up. And I'm not a good enough rationalist that I'm going to avoid letting halo or horns effect come over me, even though I've made strides to not be in either major political party. So that I can get a little bit out of that. There is still the villainization of candidates. There is the, oh, they said that, therefore it must be bad. Actually, um, even, even on local stuff, uh, there's still that. The other day I was looking at Facebook and my father is very active in politics. And I noticed that somebody was kind of talking about the pros and cons of a certain uh, amendment that was being proposed. And my dad had commented, go take a bath. You're on the side of so-and-so. Mm. So simply by being on the side of a group that they didn't like on a certain policy issue, now that guy had to go take a shower. He was unclean. <laughs> he was unclean. And he agreed. Oh, wow. Yeah, the next comment was, Oof. oh, got to go wash myself in bleach. Oh, yeah. that terrible. Yeah. I was never able to bait my parents into political discussions. Uh, I did want to qualify one thing, though. I think while the lesser-owned community shies away from discussing politics, uh, individual rash- rationalists don't and probably shouldn't. If you are if you feel up to engaging in something that we're really hardwired to not engage in rationally, but if, if you're up for it, it's, it is important to talk about, but it's not there an are, introductory topic. There are mm-hmm. some people who do, and there was for a long time a strong... Um, what was the term? 
social norm that politics was not discussed at Less Wrong. Did we want to go briefly into why that was? Yeah. Yeah, what happened? Uh, well, I mean, nothing happened happened. It's... Were people crying? No, no one was crying. It, it, it was... Okay, so obviously people, as we were saying, go a little funny in the head when it comes to politics because it is conjectured, at least, that uh, this was very important when your entire society was 150 people and everyone knew what side you were on when lines were drawn and decisions had to be made. And if you were on the good side of the guy who ended up winning and taking power, then he would often reward you with things like, you know, resources, uh, things that improved your genetic fitness in general. And if you were on the wrong side, you might be shunned, you might not get help when you need help, might even potentially be killed if it is a bad enough of a conflict. Are we talking about chimpanzees again? This sounds like the Machiavellian <laughs> evolutionary theory. We are right now talking entirely just about humans living in tribes of one to two hundred people. Because that's that's exactly what that sounds like. There is this big Machiavellian hypothesis, and um, they did a lot of work on chimpanzees, as people do in an attempt to understand our human evolutionary heritage. What was the name of that book? Which one? Uh, the one with uh, the the two chimps competing for running of the local group. I don't really call it club of chimpanzees. It was mentioned in Methods of Rationality. Okay. I don't know uh, the name of the book. Well, I'll dig it up. It'll be on the website. Um, but yeah, there's a whole good long book on this that somebody I talked to read at one point, and it was apparently fun. So yes, I think we are modeling our ancestors like modern-day chimps for mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in regards to their exercising of political discourse. But I think it's not... Uh, it's not entirely wrong to say that being on the wrong side of a political argument in the past could have had some serious repercussions, much more than uh, just discussing whether the minimum wage should go up or down $2 does nowadays, and for that reason, people have an emotional tie much greater than what they necessarily should have. The Having observed that, Eliezer in this post pointed out that Due to this, arguments are often treated by humans like soldiers. That once you know your side, which you know which side of an argument that you're on, you must support all arguments on your side, no matter how bad they are, and attack all arguments that appear to favor your enemy side, no matter how good they are. Otherwise, it's like you're stabbing your own soldiers in the back by not supporting the arguments that you know support your side, even if they're bad arguments. If you really, so if you really are involved in politics, mm-hmm. that is literally how it is. Right. So if you undermine your own side, you could lose on on uh, policy issues that you really care about and that are very important to you. And that is very much an anti-rationality sort of thing, as we are supposed to, uh, in theory, at least one would hope assess every argument on its own merits rather than assess it on which side it supposedly helps. Yes. Um, so as uh, the, those of us in the room right now, the three of us, we are not directly involved in politics. We don't have to do that. We don't have to have um, arguments being soldiers. We don't have to stand by our strong club so that we can push through things that we really care about and we have the power to do that. But... Uh, we're seeing, you know, a lot of people who are in a similar situation to us, not high-level politicians, who actually have to think about this strategically, mm-hmm. doing the same kind of behavior, where uh, you take party-line positions and you can ask somebody what they think about one position and roll out what they think about a whole bunch of other positions based on that. And I think the reason that, at least between the three of us, none of us uh, 
have that sort of blanket endorsement for, well, I'm pro-increasing minimum wage, so therefore I'm pro all these other things that are not tied to it whatsoever, and I'll defend those as true even if I don't think they are because that will help my minimum wage policy thing go up. The reason we don't do that is because that feels icky and gross because I have an epistemic uh, attachment to the truth. And that's but also why I left the political sphere. There is actually because there one... was some of that icky stuff going on where I was like, this isn't completely true. Mm. The reasons behind this that they're actually using to promote it are not the good reasons, yeah. but they're the most convincing reasons, apparently, and it's not good. And it's, so. it's really kind of a shame. There's a certain candidate for a certain party that is not either of the two big colors that uh, happens to be a trained, highly respected uh, medical physician, and yet has had to recently take stances such as, I'm not sure about the whole vaccine thing, we should look into it, because her party line is, her party is very much the sort of uh, West Coast wishy-washy kind of liberal that says, well, vaccines are terrible how many people can we alienate? All of them. All of them. All of them by the end of the episode. It, it, it's, it's horrible that she has to say that for political reasons. Yeah. Because her party, that is the line of her party. No, I agree. It's, it's, it's gross and weird, and that's why politics is gross and weird, and why I don't have a huge mind for it, which might be revealed over the course of this discussion. Uh, yeah, we're not in politics. At least I'm not, and I can generalize to at least possibly somebody, that uh, because the idea of... If you're a politician, the truth is sort of your enemy, right? If it turned, it can be. It often can be. If it turned out... Katrina shook her head. Yeah, oh yeah, sorry. If it turned out that whatever... I'm trying to think of a good hypothetical example. I don't know. Regardless of that, I wanted to get to one other thing, that there is actually one less wrong-trained rationalist uh, congressperson or senator in New Hampshire, I want to say. Uh-huh. What was her name? I don't remember. We'll dig it up. But she's uh, she's out there, and I have no idea how she's coping with this. I would love to, to talk <laughs> about that. I guess... You get by it by thinking I'm do- I'm doing enough good that it makes it worth being all sticky with lies all day. But uh, so like, um, it's it's a very small district. It's probably small enough that she can get away with not having to lie very much. Possibly, yeah. I mean that that'd be the perk of doing it in a small area, right? But I mean, but there are so many things that are not political, right? Mm-hmm. So next episode, what I hope that we talk about is things that are not brought up and are not politically charged issues. The issue is that any kind of issue, once it gets into the political sphere, it becomes politically charged. Right. I have a way better and less inflammatory example to most of our audience. And, well, before you do that, and, and it sucks that as soon as something becomes policy, we can't talk about it anymore, just because suddenly it has become a policy question, and that means that it is the mind killer, and we can't talk about it. I think that's one of the reasons that there's been a bit of a uh, retreat from that stance, uh, that we cannot talk about politics because there are certain things that we do want to talk about that are affected by policy. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think, I think it's not a good introductory topic, but once you're like, once you've been okay with being wrong a few times, then you're kind of warmed up to be ready to talk about politics. Right. Yeah. But it's not like, Hey, I, there's this cool group called less wrong. And we talk about how, you know, this politics thing, right. That's not the best right. sales pitch. Oh, okay. Well, in, in, in his original post, uh, politics is the mind killer. Uh, this example was that in artificial intelligence, there's a standard problem that's uh, demonstrating the, the difficulty of a certain type of reasoning. There's a standard problem that says all Quakers are pacifists, all Republicans are not pacifists. Nixon is a Quaker and a Republican. Is Nixon a pacifist? And his question was, why the hell is that a standard problem that people use as an example of this the difficulty of this sort of reasoning? 
why have you thrown politics into this question so that right away people are polarized and that you insult anyone who leans Republican? And this should not have been in here at all anyway. Take the politics out and focus on something else. Mm -hmm. So his, he wasn't even saying that no one should ever discuss politics. He was more saying that do not insert politics where it doesn't need to be. It's a distraction. Yes. And, and, a, and a distraction that is hugely, I guess, hugely distracting. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's not just like it's uselessly vague or something, you know, but it, it's, it's the idea that it's so charged that you're, you're basically guaranteed to make it inaccessible as a good example for a lot of people. You know, it's like a good example of a policy that has a political stance is global warming. There, there is, uh, half of the, or one, one of the two major political parties in the U.S. If you ask somebody, hey, what do you think about global warming? And depending on what answer they give you, you can make a good prediction about what political party or their political leanings. Yeah. Uh, yes. In, in, in general, right? Like, yeah. like, like any of those political questions. Right. Yes, absolutely. Well, so like, it turns out that this, this question has a factual settled answer. And if you're a Republican who otherwise is sane, you can't go around saying, yes, but I'm also very concerned about climate change when you get on this, because then the rest of your Republican friends are going to be like, what are you shitting on our position for? That's part of our, our platform. Like you're, you're stabbing us in the back, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's part of what makes this so hard. And these, these things, you know, whether you think big government spending on, you know, et cetera is a good thing or bad should not relate at all to your position on climate change. Right. Uh, so that, that, that to me is always what's been so weird and, like I said, it's this and weird icky feeling that's just repellent to me. And you that... should be able to, like, in your example, if you actually have numbers uh, saying life Ge is very much against genetically modified, uh, modified crops. And the left that's is actually... That's not... I mean, the it's, it's the same the people. It's, <laughs> it's the same people as the anti-vaccine no, people. No, not necessarily. There's a lot of people I personally know that are very much against GMO, which have nothing against vaccines. They're like, yeah, vaccines, of course, science. It's a good thing. I'm willing to say more than 60% of the blue crowd is. Yeah. We can look at numbers. I'm sure they're out We there. can look at numbers. Uh, I, the people who identify more as independent or libertarian, probably not. Just, you know, liberal in a social sense, but the ones that actually are uh, Democrat. I would say more than 60%. All right. What's your confidence on that, Inyash? Because... Uh, uh, pretty strong. Pretty strong. <laughs> okay. Well, the good news is that there's polls out there and we can check up on you. Awesome. So polls, listeners, get ready to, get ready to, see to look at the blog. <laughs> or, I mean, there's a chance, or redeemed. There, there, there's a chance you're right. Yeah. So uh, there, it, I did find um, one other weird left... One one of the weird beliefs that is more popular on the left, which is the moon landing hoax, turns out on to be the left? turns out to be the one major conspiracy theory that is more popular among liberals. Huh? Brian Denny did a three part episode on the moon landing hoax, which is, he's never done a two part episode anything. So three land, three part episode was fun, and the first part he talked about some of the origins and some of the things about it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I didn't know that. I guess I might have suspected only based off of, and it, well, I guess his explanation made sense, but I don't know if I, if I would have predicted that in advance. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, but the GMO example, I think, is, is a good one where there's an obvious scientific answer. Although not, not so much to some people. I've, I've had people at, you know, less wrong meetups that they're not anti-GMO, but they're like, you know, it's not as clear cut as that or whatever. Like, so there's, there's a lot of horns effect with bad business practices by Monsanto or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but as to whether or not it's actually safe, I think that that seems fairly settled. We've talked about the halo and horns effect before, but, um, I think it might be a good time to bring up the definition again, just because it's so important um, as an effect heuristic, right? So it's how we feel about someone. Um, horns effect would be 
I don't like Donald Trump because I'm offended at whatever these things that he said. Therefore, anything that he says, I or right. I think he right. he's probably wrong. Right. <laughs> that's that's a good definition of the effect heuristic, but it's not a good way to think, right? No. If, if Trump came right out and said two plus two is four, would you disagree with him? Because Trump said it, you wouldn't want to agree with Trump, would you? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Or my dad, like, go take a shower. Yeah. At least, uh, what about, so, and then of course the halo effect is the opposite of that. If there is a person or candidate who you admire and you like some of the things that they say, um, you're more likely to believe whatever they say is true, which is weird. weird. (laughs) And then that actually also rolls into, um, to part of that sequence, part of Yukowski's sequence that follows the uh, politics is the mind killer post Mm -hmm. about authority and the impact of authority and that experience and expertise in the absence of a well thought out and convincing argument do actually count for a lot. And we're often in situations where we don't have the nitty gritty, the nitty gritty calculations or even are in a position where we can understand the calculations and we have to take authority in lieu of that, right? I think the vast majority of situations we're in are that way. And that's why heuristics are there, right? They're, they're, they're programmed mental shortcuts for a reason. Like, if they were always unreliable and always led to bad outcomes, they wouldn't, we wouldn't have them. We'd have the opposite. But, uh, you know, the effect heuristic is basically going with your gut. And if you get a gut reaction from something and then you go with that, that's, that's a good shortcut a lot of the time. The, the standard example is uh, when I mention lung cancer, you get this kind of quick sense of dread, and it lasts a couple seconds maybe, right? And then when I, when I say the word motherly love, you get the opposite effect. Right, depends and how you feel about your mother. Motherly love is an abstract concept, right? Okay. Uh, you know, uh, a, a mom licking her puppies. How about that? Right? Aww. So, exactly. And then, so, the effect heuristic is, is realizing that, or I guess incorporating use of the effect heuristic into your real life is uh, understanding that those gut reactions don't necessarily correlate to the real world. Um, and that you can easily set up situations where people use the effect heuristic and end up making bad calls or, or are being inconsistent with themselves or something. So that's that. Yeah. I also want to mention with the um, authority or expert mm-hmm. kind of example, Yukowski also mentioned that, yes, so it is rational to, to give more probability to the expert, give more probability to something that the expert says rather than the non-expert, mm-hmm. the lay person says about something that they're the expert on. But you should feel, you should feel hollow inside. <laughs> you should feel like something's missing. And what's missing is all of the backup information, because if then both the expert and the lay person can provide all of that detailed information and you can understand it, then that erases the additional probability of truth that you give to the expert person, right? Exactly. I think part of that feeling of hollowness, too, is thinking, man, now I believe this thing, but I can never really tell someone why. Like... Uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson tells me that the universe is 14.3 billion years old, but if someone asks me and that's the only reason I can give them, I'm going to feel stupid. Appeal to authority, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. So, and, but. I don't know if you, I don't know if you should feel stupid for not knowing exactly how the universe is dated. No, but if the only reason I can give is, well, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say it on Cosmos, 
uh, that does feel hollow, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even if I trust him on things astrophysics. I mean, it's it's better than if I had said, well, my coworker told me. Why do you trust her? I don't, I mean, she's, she's my coworker. Well, what do you she mean? Has why do I trust her? Fashion sense. Yeah, exactly. So like, it, that's, that's why the appeal to authority isn't an intrinsically wrong move. You know, you're short on time. If we all had, if we all the time, we'd all be experts in everything, but we don't. So I'll take Hawking's word for it when it comes to black holes. So the, the appeal to authority fallacy is only a fallacy if that's the only reason. And if the, and if the, if the part of what makes it Less fallacious. I'm trying to be concise and not be confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what makes Neil deGrasse Tyson saying uh, the universe is 14.3 or 6 billion years old credible is that the scientific community backs him up. Um, if if he had disagreed, if he was the lone person, everyone else thought it was 100,000 years old, mm-hmm. I would have to have some additional reasons to, to trust him rather than trust the scientific consensus. So scientific consensus isn't the same kind of appeal to authority as, well, my coworker said so. And honestly, unless you were an astrophysicist, you probably couldn't understand any of those arguments. You would just have to go with the consensus. Understand is a tough word there, right? Okay. Like, I mean, you, you can get a good example from a, from a layperson accessible book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can you, can you run the math and have you looked through the telescopes? No. Right. But, I mean, you can look at pictures of, you know, red-shifted and blue-shifted stars and whatever. But Photoshopped. It's all Photoshopped. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that kind of, that's, that's sort it's of It's on Stanley Kubrick's stage. <laughs> right. This is sort of like the defense that you get into if you attack someone's position on like GMOs, right? Um, if you're, if you're a leftist and, and someone says, oh yeah, GMOs are fine. They're like, look, that's just what they're paying people to publish. Like you don't understand that there is actually this thing going on. And if you tell someone on the right, look, climate change is actually a thing. They might say, no, no, that's just the Chinese trying to ruin our industry, right? Uh, not, not adding a citation to that one. It was Trump. Oh, okay. it, was on, it was on his Twitter. I see. <laughs> so, so you did have a citation. Well, man, people are quoting Twitter an awful lot these days. <laughs> was that another time? What's that? Was that another time someone quoted Twitter? Just with with Donald Trump. Ah, it's oh. just he tweeted this. He oh, tweeted he's this. Oh so my god, Tweetable is the yeah, thing. He, he's made for Twitter. He is the best. Like, if he wasn't, if this, if he was a. What am I going to say? If he wasn't actually running for president and he's just pretending to, like, he'd be hilarious. It'd be like great political theater. But it's kind of, are we getting too political? Yes. Taking a stance? Yes. It's a little horrifying Probably. that he's actually going to be, pre- that he actually might be president. Yeah. If he was just pretending, this whole thing would be hilarious. Right? Like, if it, if, if it was a, if it was a movie with him starring and pretending, like, this would be a funny movie. Yeah. And, like, all the horrible things that he says, but when you, when you put the, when you take the movie out and put reality in, it suddenly becomes a lot less funny. Well, I think, I, I think it's interesting that there's a whole segment of the population which has never been really represented in politics before that is finally getting some representation, which is what I think we're seeing right now. Which segment is that? Do we really want to get into this right no. now? No. No, okay. I, well, I will say... I, I, I'll link to Scott Alexander's post on uh, the Foundations of America with Borderers versus Puritans. Right on. Um, I mean, there is one thing that I find refreshing about Trump. You guys ready to hate me now? Sure. I love the fact that... Love is a hard word for it. Um, you don't I, despise I, the fact. I like the fact that he's beyond worrying about being politically correct. You know, I can't offend my my investors. I can't offend my lobbyist groups. I can't but he's offend not. this. He can't offend his base either. Remember when he had such a hard time distancing himself from the KKK guys? Because he knew that they had some influence with his base? Oh, yeah, that rings a bell. Ooh, that's, I, a, that's a fun one. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is how many oh 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 how many how many people do you suppose are members of the KKK? 
I I was uh, reading. You already read that yeah. spoiler. I guessed correctly the first time. Oh, cool! Down Apparently, to... most people do. So, how about you, Stephen? Somewhere in the range of ten thousand in the country. Close. Half that. Fair enough. Um, so it's about five thousand. So it's stupid. interesting that we're talking. It's about five thousand people in the entire country. Yeah. So it's. They're obviously not like a huge voting base, yeah. right? So <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun that we're talking about the KKK and how important they are. Well, and they're going as to a... endorse one party or the other, and like you can't be like, "Well, neither of us will have you." I mean, I guess you can try, but whatever. But obviously, he felt that um, denouncing them directly would have enough of a negative effect with some of his supporters that it mattered. No. I think he just doesn't want to do anything directly because he's going to mess it up. He directly says Mexicans are rapists. (laughs) This this, this might be too inflammatory, but I will say that I think that what happened was he was asked about it. Uh, Why are we talking about this? Because he's so... Yeah. Why does the media always cover him? Because it's so damn, like, No, it's too interesting. It's too too much fun. And he literally had no idea what was happening. I don't know what you're talking about. And then not wanting to back down from that, that's that's where his new stage was. He just... There's, like, nothing going on in his head but confabulation, right? Like, have you ever seen somebody with, like, a, a memory problem? Right, and, right. And they get there. Or, like, you poke someone in the brain, and their, their arm moves, and, like, hey, why'd you move your arm? Oh, I thought I was waving a bus down. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually what happens, right? Yeah. They we're, confabulate. I kind of picture that's... that's we're we're, like we're all armchair psychiatrists right, right now. We are getting way off it, topic. Oh, my. I'm going to have to delete all of that. Okay. <laughs> this is a No, that's episode. fair. So, yeah, that's fair. Let's get back to the more abstract. Um... Uh, we I'm, talked about kind of the evolutionary origins of why politics is a tough problem or a tough topic for people to think about rationally, right? Can I touch on quickly? Uh, then we gave examples of why we're bad at thinking about politics rationally. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, can I touch on uh, a further furthering of this same concept? The uh, We feel like we have to pick a side? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So this is a from a follow-up post by Eliezer on Less Wrong, called Policy Should Not Appear One-Sided, I mm-hmm. think, where yes. he says that uh, Robin Hansen once proposed that uh, we should have stores where banned products could be sold. That way you can still ban products that are dangerous, and they won't appear in any normal stores anywhere, but you have these special stores where people can go to get banned product if they think the FDA or whoever got it wrong. It's still possible to uh, obtain these things. Just with some giant disclaimers on him. Mm-hmm. And he, he said that, yes, but you know, eventually some poor, honest mother of five is going to go into the store and buy Dr. Snake Oil sulfuric acid drink for her arthritis and die. And because of that, because we tend to pick one side or the other, and we have to support all the arguments on our side and attack all the arguments on the other side, it quickly begins to look like policies are one-sided. That a, a thing I hear very often is someone saying, I can't even imagine why that person believes X. Right. And because once you get into the sort of mind frame, it can get to be that way where every single argument for is so obviously correct and every single argument for their side is so obviously stupid and wrong. How could anyone possibly believe that? Uh, which is what happens when you only tout the benefits of your side and only deny any benefits of the other side. And that is one of the reasons why politics is so uh, anathema to rationality. So the reason that Yukowski brought that up, that somebody's going to go and die, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be horrible and sad, Mm -hmm. is not to say that the policy itself um, of having banned object stores 
um, banned product stores is bad, but that there's definitely another side to it. Yes. He, he said specifically, uh, saying that, quote, people representing the two sides, saying that people who buy dangerous products deserve to get hurt is not actually tough-minded. It's a way of refusing to live in an unfair universe. Real tough-mindedness is saying, yes, sulfuric acid is a horrible, painful death, and no, that mother of five didn't deserve it. But we're going to keep the shops open anyway because we did this prior cost-benefit calculation, and we're sticking by it. And that's why people don't like economists. I suppose so. He then goes on to say, can you imagine a politician saying that? Neither can I. (laughs) Um, I do want to say that if you listened to the proposal for a store that sold banned things and didn't flinch when Yukaski pointed out, yeah, someone's going to die, though, and it's going to suck, then congratulations, you're ready to talk about politics. Because it's hard, once you're attached to it, to then agree that this thing that's good also will kill you know, a mother of five and leave them orphaned and sad, right? Yeah. But if you're if you're capable of doing that without flinching, I think that's that's kind of the level you need to be able to be at. Well people um, people are commonly able to do that when talking about war. I yeah. uh, think about the Iraq war, it was very popular. Um a lot amongst of, amongst the population in general. Yeah. It was a it was a very popular war. I knew too many hippies. All all my friends were like, that's the bullshit. Yeah, anyway. Hey, well, I mean, a lot of people got there enough. eventually, but it was um, enough, you only got one senator voting against it. Yeah, it was very, very popular in the public, and that was reflected in the the voting, um, the Senate and House. I guess just the Senate. I don't remember exactly how it happened. Yeah, people are people are into that. They're like, okay, it's going to be this cost in soldiers' lives, mm-hmm. in other people's lives from other countries who are foreigners, and. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to have this benefit. So people are really into this cost benefit analysis. I don't think people were doing cost benefit on the war. If I, to, of if I course can, they were. No, if I can quote Richard Morgan, uh, I think wars are generally mainly hormonal. And my personal opinion on the matter was, uh, we were still as a nation, not us specifically, uh, very traumatized and pissed off about the 9-11 attacks. And the war in Afghanistan was over too quick, and we felt that we had not punched enough Arabs yet. And so we needed to go to another country where there's Arabs and punch more of them. And Iraq was the next target. Speaking of I think it was very partisan much political a, No, no, I, I don't think it was even it was a partisan thing. Everyone in the country was on this side. It was just still this festering rage and it needed to get out through more bloodshed and destruction. The well, analogies between politics and war are no coincidence. Right. Right. I guess my point was that you have a lot of people who are not flinching at really terrible decisions yeah. um, that involve killing people, that involve destroying resources, that involve, you know, there's all of these. I don't think that that's the prerequisite for being able to discuss things rationally. Fair enough. I might be wrong. I just, I, I thought it was a poignant example because... It is tough to say, yes, I think it's a good thing, and yes, this mother of five will die, but it's still worth it. Like, I think that is a level of thinking that I think even came out in the comments on Overcoming Bias wasn't super common. It came to be that if you pointed out a fact, like some innocent person's going to die, that came out as speaking against the the proposal, right? Remember when we talked about um, straw men and steel men? Mm-hmm. And I guess we haven't really used that in a long time. <laughs> we should probably bring that a little bit more into our podcast, but this is another situation where you want to argue against the strongest argument on the other side. And you actually want to, um, you want to understand the other side and why somebody would come to that conclusion. Yeah. 
And maybe not just hormones. Once, Inuyash? Well, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think once you can understand the other side of something very personal to you, uh, like the, in my, my personal case, it, it's the abortion topic. Once you can understand why someone on the other side thinks the way they think and realize that it is a legitimate, if in your opinion, flawed opinion, then you can actually start discussing some of these things. And I'm not there on a lot of topics, but I am there on some. So that's something, I guess. I think that's one of the, I guess I want to transition to this later. So I'll, I'll save it, but that is something that this is actually a good example, the abortion one. So like, if I were to point out you're killing a human, mm-hmm. uh, people are like, you can't call it human. That, that's not true. It's just cells. I'm like, it's, it, 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 it's a, it's a living human. It's it totally two, human. It had two human parents. It's got self reproducing cells. There's nothing else to call it. Uh, you can attach other terms to it that are useful in terms of, you know, measuring where it's at and stuff. Um, but to say, to say it's not a human being is factually wrong. But people, and I, I encountered this when I was a teenager when I was talking about abortion to people, and I, I thought it was weird. They were unwilling to admit that, it, that human fetuses are humans. Um, it's the I'm, personhood. Yeah. yeah and, and the personhood is where They're it is. Probably using human with person. And, and they were, but, uh, people, and this, this is a, another quote from, from the politics is the mind killer sequence is that very few, very few people will understand that you aren't defending the enemy. You're just defending the truth. So I happen to be pro abortion, but I'm not, uh, I don't like pro choice, pro life. Those sound like they're, they're misnomers. So I, I say pro and anti abortion. I should say um, pro abortion rights. You aren't necessarily for that's, people that's, getting abortions. Fair enough. Okay. Then I'm anti- Unless you are for people getting abortions. I think they're great. In which case we should keep <laughs> away from pregnant ladies. Everyone should have three. Um, <laughs> I want to get either implanted just so I can keep having abortions. Uh, or start having them. And then keep having them. That was needlessly aside. Uh, so I guess that, that's an important thing is that it when you're tied up in a pol- political discussion, like I said, the truth becomes your enemy. The truth that GMOs have been looked at a lot and have looked at and have been concluded to be fine uh, opposes some people's political beliefs. The fact that the world is uh, undergoing climate change, that every month has been the hottest month on record for ages, uh, I guess for record, not not the hottest month, but the hottest month, like the last yeah. August was the hottest, hottest August, right? right. Um, it wasn't necessarily hotter than the month right before that. The fact that that's happening is true on average. And so... People, people are coming around... It is also important to note that uh, for some people, defending these things is very much sort of a life or death thing. There have been, <laughs> in the not-too-distant past, uh, arguments made for why certain groups of people should be killed. And once your life is on the line, you tend to give less of a fuck about uh, sticking with cold, hard facts. Oh, sure. And when someone comes around and starts making rational, reasoned arguments for why these people are not as good as other people and society might be better off without them, oftentimes you're not going to argue back in a reasonable way, even though maybe, I don't know, it's hard to say maybe you should. That's a value judgment I'm not willing to make. Maybe it would be more effective for convincing them personally, but on the other hand, can they even be convinced? What I'm trying to get at is, once it becomes that personal, it's it's not surprising that people abandon rationality and say, fuck you, I will fight you on this, and I will break out every tool I have in my kit for it. Yes, we talked about instrumental rationality, Mm -hmm. right, very early on in the podcast, and that's what it is, if if your goal is survival. 
I just want to point out that if, if you are bringing up a topic that you want to talk to someone else rationally about, and that is a very personal thing to someone, it's not necessarily fair to say to them, why are you being so emotional and irrational? I'm just trying to discover the truth. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, I'm sure there's a topic out there like that for me. I'm not sure right off the top of my head what it is, but, you know, and as far as, you know, in a, in a pressure situation, yeah, if someone had a gun to my head, I'll, I'll tell, I'll talk nonstop about how flat the earth is, right? <laughs> but, uh, I could, I could even rehearse the cachet arguments that I've heard, but I, that doesn't, uh, I don't think that translates to most political discourse in most of the developed world, right? Um, now you're right, not to distant past, you know, there were, there were people going around asking these questions and, you better have the right answer ready. But that's not really where we're at in 2016. I think that's one of the things I like about uh, our less wrong meetups. And for anyone who doesn't have a physical space where they meet other rationalists, we I personally recommend it. Maybe we should do an episode on how to start one. Sure. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Yeah, but uh, since you know you're going to generally be meeting only other rationalists, you can often say things that you wouldn't be able to say in public under the assumption that everyone here knows that right now we're only talking in a purely hypothetical uh, what if this were the case sort of speech and not actually proposing any policy and trying to find the truth rather than trying to say what, how things should be. No, yeah, it's, it's extremely refreshing and that's, that's the main reason we have a, a, a meet space meetup. Or uh, resorting to ad hominem attacks like we were doing recently about Mr. Trump. Right. Yes. And his, his, his psychological profile. Did I make an ad hominem, ad hominem attack? When you were saying that he acts like someone who is an ovulating, yeah, yeah, unable to uh, keep a, 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 cogent a, a thought, yeah, a cogent narrative in his head about how the world works and just makes up whatever. Uh, yes. Okay. I mean, it's not at hominem if it's true. <laughs> uh... Unless you're actually his psychologist or psychiatrist, though, you you're not qualified to make that sort of distinction. Fair All enough. you've got is what we see in the media, which is. By its nature, always the most fantastic and shocking stuff, because that's what gets the most clicks. And I wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily endorsing that position. I was just saying that it wasn't necessarily uh, ad hominem attack. You know, it's ad, ad hominem would be saying he's stupid, so he's wrong, right? Or uh, he's a crazy person, so he shouldn't be listened to. Yeah, mm. but I mean, like, it's not ad, it's not ad hominem if the person is actually crazy and they're telling you that the CIA is peppering their underwear with mind controlling. Right, but you can't you, you, right? you can't say that he is crazy because you don't know that. Oh yeah, no, I wasn't necessarily uh, standing behind that statement. I was making it as an example. Yeah, and if I did say that he appears to be confabulating, well, he appears to be and is are two different things. Right. So, <laughs> so a lot of people were saying recently that Hillary Clinton appears to have Parkinson's or whatever they were saying. We personally think it's crazy. We. Uh, medical doctors with examiner, Amy Ashbrowski. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, that combination. By we, I meant me and the mouse in my pocket. So. <laughs> I thought you meant we in the left is what you were getting at, and I was getting back. At that you is kind of thing. what I was getting yeah. at. Yeah, but like none of us are doctors. None, no, of, us, none of us have looked at her. Right. So, is there know. anything else that you guys want to talk about in terms of biases before we shut off? Absolutely. The there, there's a tendency. There's a tendency when talking about politics. To, I think I've mentioned already that some of my most rewarding conversations, especially about politics, have been with my friend who is uh, on the opposite side of most political issues than I am, um, because we're both capable of, you know, not shouting, not getting irate, and we're both capable of, of listening to what the other person's saying and saying, hold on, if that's actually true, let me think about that for a second, and not, that can't be true because this. So it's really rewarding and it's really interesting, and if, if 
if you have the opportunity to do that, go for it. And if you can find uh, a person who disagrees with you politically and you're both capable of keeping your heads, it's a lot of fun. People have a tendency to assume that people on the other political, the other side of the political line believe things for bad reasons, or if they were only better informed, would agree with them. But that's true for both sides, and it can't be true for both sides, right? So wherever it's at, people act in a way that's internally consistent with them being good people. Like, if you're against abortion, you're not a monster who hates women, you're a great person who wants to save babies, right? So, like, acknowledging that isn't a point for their position. It's just a better understanding of who they actually are. And if you're... That is not the correct way to model your opponent in a way that makes them as villainous as you're trying to... as you're imagining, right? If you're imagining them enjoying being Voldemort, you're probably imagining them wrong. Voldemort's the outlier. So... Does that make sense? I, I yeah. just feel like that's a really important point, and it's one of the best points made in the uh, the politics of the mind killer sequence. That there there is a lot to be gained from understanding that your enemy has an internal narrative that makes them the good guy, and that's true of whoever your enemy is, unless your enemy is literally Voldemort. So and even then, you can write some rational fiction where it's true of him again. If you find yourself getting over the next couple of weeks or the next month or two until politics is finally done for this this season in the USA, uh, yeah, in the USA. If you're finding yourself getting pissed at your opponent for being so stupid, you probably don't understand them. That's the point I'm trying to get at. Right. Saying I can't imagine why my opponent thinks this just means you have a very bad imagination. It's a failure of imagination. Yeah. But people also actually are stupid. Especially those those damn <laughs> reds and blues, right? <laughs> those damn what? Reds and blues. Yeah. Whichever, whichever side I am, the other side's stupid, right? Right. Yeah, that's, that's not the takeaway message. <laughs> oh, I guess I just meant that a lot of people are. Um, I mean, we believe things for, that we haven't really looked into, um, for, for no good reason. And we kind of just accepted it. And, um, as we were talking about before with the appeal to authority, um, a lot of times we just take an authority figure's word for it. And that might be our parents or, or someone else. That's what's going on with other people too. So they don't always have good reasons for believing things. I'm not saying they have good reasons. They, they have what are to them good reasons. Yeah, or they haven't really thought about it. That's possible, too. But assuming the person you're talking to has thought about this whatsoever, their reasons make sense to them. So, like, the reason that God doesn't want us to... that that embryos have souls and God doesn't want us to kill them, that's not a good reason, but it is a reason that is defensible given what they believe, right? Okay. So that's that's where it's at. Cool. Empathize with your uh, political interlocutors, and they'll be much more rewarding for both of you. Right. That's my takeaway message. Empathy. Empathy's good. End of story. Shall we move on to listener feedback? Let's do. All right. Right after these messages. I'm starting with a... This is from our website. Pierre Thierry says, I wonder why it was said that we are not happier than our ancestors. We may have a different baseline anxiety level, free time, and access to a huge variety of informations and hobbies that do make it possible to tap previously unused potential for happiness. Also, we right now might very well not be at the human maximum for happiness because some of our current advantages might be offset by some of the problems of our culture, like putting work or social success before happiness, less carefree childhoods, and so on. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess there's some evidence that people suffer from more anxiety than they used to. I I actually don't really have much to say to that, but I thought it was interesting to his point that we may be at a higher happiness level in general as humans than we ever have in history. And I thought that is plausible. Well, I guess we're at a lower percentage of starvation. Which is nice. Than than we have been for at least quite a while. Yeah. 
I know that, at least as a related piece of data, that suicide rates are way higher in developed first world countries than they are in, like, the countries we think people would be average, less happy. Mm-hmm. And so there's just, there does seem to be some sort of anxiety and pressure with, like, just having freedom to do whatever you want all the time if you're reasonably well off. Uh, like, you have to go to work and stuff, but for the most part, it's not, you don't have to work 16 hours a day. You know where lunch and dinner is coming from. So, like, having not, not having that on your mind, I guess, gives you time to, like, what am I really doing with my life? We Here's also have one. the internet. So, um, we have all, we have an amazing ability to get information and work a lot harder and faster. And we have all be more productive. The, yeah, all the best entertainment that humanity has ever created at our fingertips. I was saying that that can maybe add to anxiety because oh, okay. it used to be that you could go and just hang out in the library all day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when we were kids. Yeah. Or going back further, you know, middle ages, you can go to a good old fashioned hanging or a cat burning or right. go back further. Cat you burning. Can, like, that was yeah. a big thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They'd get a bunch of them, throw them in a bag. Um, not my favorite time, type of entertainment, but you know, like I guess previous, you know, the city play once a month. Like that was like what people look forward to. Like that sounds super boring, but that maybe that's because that's where we're at now. Did we say we're less happy now than we used to be? No, but uh, we wondered if humans have some weird potential to be happier now than they used to. And we kind of discounted that idea. Well, which episode was that? You were saying maybe that is entirely possible. Uh, I think that was, it was fairly recent. I think that could have been the um, street epistemology one. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I do remember saying something along the lines of like maybe how happy it was to find a body of water when you're a traveling nomad or something. Right. But that, I don't know. That sounds like it's more like relief and security and like the happiness from those things, not like the happiness of like, I'm really looking forward to the, you know, the next Marvel movie, right? I will um, say there was one time where through entirely my own fault, uh, when I was in college, I went nearly three days without food. And when I finally got access to food again on the third day, I was so happy I almost started crying. Mm-hmm. It was it was crazy how that simple biological need being fulfilled could make you so happy. Yeah, or you're searching for a certain kind of bug all day and you can't find it and you can't find it and finally you do. And you're super like hungry you've done. And you're super hungry so you eat it. And then you're <laughs> My brother when he was in the military said that uh, so he, there were sometimes he just did not get a lot of sleep for, you know, a week or two on end. He, and when those times when he could grab a nap and sleep like on the hood of a truck for two hours was just some of the most fulfilling thing ever. He was like, just, just being able to rest for two hours that felt is, so good. That is true happiness. Yeah. That all, that all is true happiness. And I don't begrudge our ancestors that. So, and we don't get that very much nowadays. Because we have all those basic needs fulfilled, which you would think is a good thing, right? Well, so it makes us ne- not have to worry about starving. So I think that kind of comes into where, you know, like depression and suicide rates are higher in developed countries, mm-hmm. at least as best as you can pull these things. Um, well, maybe it's like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing. Right. If you need to focus on some of your basic needs, maybe it's harder to focus on some other things that might make you depressed and yeah. sad. Well, the stress of self-actualization is maybe like a problem our ancestors didn't have. So right? would we all be better off if we were more miserable? No. No? No, I, I, I it's interesting that we came across that way. I'm glad Pierre pointed it out because I'm glad to correct the record. Uh, I don't think that we're not happier than our ancestors. I think that we might be on average more depressed, but I don't think that means that we're less happy, if, if that makes sense with what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, right? happiness and depression are separate things. Right. Yeah. So, like, we have more things to be stressed out about. We probably... Many of us are maybe less happy some days than other things because, like, 
our needs are met, we have the freedom to be unhappy. And so that, that, you know, like if you're, if you're miserable and hungry, like there's no time to be miserable. You're, you're too busy looking for food, right? Does that make any sense? Yeah. So yeah, like you said, with the, once you satisfy the bottom of the hierarchy, you have the freedom to go on and be stressed out about the things higher up. And that is double-edged sword, but I think it's one that is worth it. Yeah, hands down. Would you like to read the Westward part? <clears throat> Westward 101 wrote in and said, Using hardware to replicate the intelligence or emotion of a living being is an interesting thought experiment, but it's not actually real and may never be. Lots of people around here treat it like it is, and that's not even the frustrating part. After it's brought up, all the cool questions are ignored. I, I want to adjust... I, I Let's adjust the first, the first part. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it's, it's sort of taken like a given in the rationalist community that sort of adopts the premises premises of transhumanism and, I guess, futurism? Like, you, you, I guess there's this sort of assumption that technology is going to keep going and keep getting better, and that these things not being prohibited by the laws of physics will happen at some point, assuming we don't die. There's there's no reason human-level cognition should be stuck in our fleshy bio-brains, that it can't be reproduced in some other on some other uh, substrate. And since there's no reason, in principle, that we can see that that can't happen, then it's assumed that someday in the future it will happen. I think that's... As long as human, human society doesn't collapse first due to asteroid or Trump presidency or something. Or it's uh, just as easy as you think it is. Meaning very hard? <laughs> very, very hard, but I don't know. It could be, it could be a lot more difficult to, to do general AI, right? Yeah. It could be a lot, lot more difficult and, and take thousands of years. And right. Like who knows how long it'll happen. People but... don't, people might not have the will to do it. Yeah. See, like, just because something's physically possible, it doesn't mean that people are going to do it because they've got plenty of other stuff that they can do instead. Yeah. But I assume anyway that in the long run, meaning potentially billions of years, if it's physically possible, it's going to get done at some point. We would be very lucky to make it billions of years. Well, I'm optimistic in that regard. Me too. At least I'm, I'm optimistic enough to, to make preparations for it, yeah. not X-wise and otherwise. So yes, in general, most of the people in this particular community do talk about it as if it is a thing worth talking about because it might happen someday. Even Robin Hansen, who you know is a, uh, and I guess this this didn't come out or this comment came in before the Hansen episode comes out. So if that's an if that's anachronistic, sorry Westward, um, or not not anachronistic, but if that's temporarily, if that doesn't line up temporally, <laughs> that's that's on us. Um, Robin Hansen points out in his book Age of M that you know look, I think that human brain emulation is way easier of a problem than general AI. So I, let's just, I'm going to assume it happens first and then take my book from there. And I think that's a fair assumption to make. You know, you can get a really good picture and basically just reverse engineer what we already have rather than build something new from the ground up. So that's another piece of the puzzle. Okay. Um, so that's the first part. second part is that <clears throat> after it's brought up, the cool questions are ignored. If you're going to the trouble of speculating on the emulation of ease feelings times five, at least roll with it. It's a little boring to me since it's so unrealistic, but don't shy away once it's out there. Would such a simulation be more valuable than E-Prime? <laughs> Is yeah. it okay to kill critters that if we keep the simulations of them? First of all, I love the fact that I'm now E-Prime. Yeah, I'm totally going to change my Reddit tag to E-Prime. Right on. You're E-Prime? <laughs> I am the E-Prime, yes. All other E's are derivations of me. I think given the line of reasoning that we were taking, E times 5 is more valuable than E-Prime. Uh, yes, this, this goes back to something that I said... I, I 
I think it was the first animals episode that, uh, depending on how you, how you consider value, some people may be more valuable than others, but for reasons of, uh, for all reasons of legality and morality, all humans should be considered, uh, equal because, uh, then you start getting into all sorts of bad things happening that you don't necessarily want to happen as, as, as Stephen was saying earlier with me offline that, uh, if you don't assume that, if you take my position that intellectual complexity is what is important, then things like, uh, babies, toddlers, the intellectually disabled are less valuable than normal people and super geniuses are more valuable than normal people. And that is not a place I want to go. And that is not a place that I think the laws should go either. And so for that reason, I draw a line at treating all, all beings that we consider sapient as equally valuable. I will, I wanted to say really quick too, as far as to why we don't tend to go down these rabbit holes, like once they're brought up, I think because they're typically tangential. So, you know, if there's, if there's some push to want to, to dig into these obs- obscure and possibly absurd thought experiments, we might do it. But I think the reason we didn't push on that too much was just because it, it seems to be kind of digging us down the wrong path from where we were trying to focus on. But your point's taken. The question, the other question was, is it okay to kill critters if we keep simulations of them? And I, I say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. Generally because no something that they... physically exists is, is by the nature of it physically existing different than the thing that's a simulation. Right. I would say uh, it depends on whether you've gotten consent. And if it is a critter that cannot give consent, then obviously no. Uh, the Prestige had major spoiler. It's like a 10-year-old movie. I think, I think that's past the, the, the line. Okay. First of all, it is a fantastic movie. Nolan is an amazing filmmaker, and this is one of his best. So I saw it recently. It's fun. Yeah. Skip the next minute if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, in The Prestige, uh, Hugh Jackman's character gives consent to have his copy killed. And he only has to give the consent to himself because, you know, that's that's who's making the copy. And so you have a very real t- weird time morally condemning him for killing his copy. But his whole shtick is he makes a copy of himself and then he kills one of the copies. And that's how he pulls off his magic trick. And every single time the copy does not want to die. In the well, moment, he's like, oh, fuck, I'm drowning. This is terrible. In the moment, but they go through with it. It yes. goes through with it he, to that point. Yeah. Um, so he gave consent. So it's... Well, he should technically be able to withdraw consent, I think. You can always withdraw consent at the last moment, which is what makes the movie morally ambiguous and such a good movie. But, uh, like, if in the case of a Star Trek transporter, since you've given consent to be destroyed and beamed somewhere else, then there's, there's no moral obligation to keep both, both of you alive. As in, that's, are you aware that that's how the transporter works? No. Oh yeah, the transporters in Star Trek work by destroying the copy where you are, taking all that information, it's a destructive scan, beaming it over somewhere else, and then recreating you uh, anew. That's messed up. Yeah, there's a few episodes where uh, it fails, and so there's two copies of you. Nice. Yeah. Which kind of makes you think... Which, why don't they do that all the time, right? I. This is one of the problems <laughs> with Star Trek! Oh my god, why do not they keep a copy of someone's buffer somewhere at all times. So, okay, in Deep Space Nine, apparently it takes up so much memory that we can't afford to do it. But Jesus Christ, if I'm a rich person, I'm going to keep a buffer of me somewhere because yeah. it's immortality. Yeah. You break an arm, eh, you know, being yourself back to the position you were before. That sounds super handy to have around, right? Yes. It's one of those annoying things about Star Trek where they do not follow through on the implications of their technologies. 
everyone is functionally immortal in that in that series, and yet people die all the time. And it would also make sense for Hugh Jackman's character in The Prestige to, rather than drop into a suicide pit, to like just land on a mattress and shave your beard and leave the state. Like that's what every copy has to do, right? Or so there would have been a lot of freaking copies. Then you guys can all get together a year later and <laughs> blow someone's mind. Right. <laughs> Found your own Jack, uh, Jackman City. Oh my god, you can start a cool gang. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> a gang. We're the Jackmans. Yeah, the what they go Right. Yeah. All right. Next one? Yes. So, um, Dave wrote this. Katrina mentioned that she thinks rights are not a thing. I've read two interesting books taking more or less this stance. Robert Anton Wilson, Natural Law, and L.A. Rollins, The Myth of Natural Law. Like many other political and ethical concepts, the idea of rights gets abused by sloppy thinkers, making it easy to argue against a weak version. But many philosophers consider rights to be obligations viewed from a different perspective. My right is your obligation. My obligation is your right. Does Katrina also think that obligations are not a thing? So I think that Dave is referring to um, me kind of going back on, in the first Animals episode, I kept talking about how animals have intrinsic rights, or intrinsic value, actually. And then um, I went back on that and I said, they don't have intrinsic value. What they have is value to value to other life forms and value to me, value to other people, value to themselves, Mm -hmm. very importantly. And that's where that value comes from. And that's where, and the concept of rights is is something that comes out of, of what we value as a society, as a human society. Right. And same with, same with obligations. So while I, I certainly do think that they are a thing, I don't think that they are a thing that exists outside of us. Thank you. That's that's exactly the same. I mean, that's my same position. That's what I thought you meant. Thank you. That there are, I mean, some people talk as if rights exist outside of humans as some kind of mythological thing. and it's like, Endowed by God. Right, right, right. No. And the only rights that exist are the rights we take. And uh, by, by take, take or give or right. conceive of, yes. right? Rights are a legal um, fiction. And again, fiction is not the best word. They're a legal construct. Mm-hmm. They are a thing that other humans agree on, and nothing has intrinsic value in the sense that, you know, we were talking earlier about all humans are equally valuable, except for in the way that the law treats them as all equally valuable, right? Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention that we have laws that take away people's rights yeah. um, as they lose their value. For example, when we imprison people and don't let them go where they want to go or do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you try to direct your consciousness and the freedom of your own home with the use of a, a, a with the use of a, an illicit substance, you've lost your your rights to personhood according to the state, right? I, that's, There's some aspects that, of your that, personhood. That, that, yeah, I guess that I, that's just to me one of the most absurd examples of like how what you can do to lose your personhood. Like if you kill somebody, all right, we we maybe it's worth taking you out of the society for a while. But the drug thing is the I think the obvious joke as far as like how fucked priorities are. Yeah, you know? the drug war sucks. Yeah. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you alluded to the uh, the other source of rights that a lot of people get it from, and that's like if they're religious. Mm-hmm. So to to the secular mindset, there isn't, at least not that I've encountered, maybe there's a good book out there. So if someone knows of it, send it our way, I'm curious. That like a, an external source for rights as like a thing outside of, of 
human human construction. Uh, you know, if you're religious, God made the universe. God gives you these rights, and that's that's what that's one that's one avenue to get to it, right? But God doesn't um, enforce any rights, so there are no God-given rights in the in the in the fact that He doesn't enforce them. Well, you are the Jehovah's Witness. I, I think you might know better than me. I was going to no, say. No, no, no. I'm, I'm speaking purely as a uh, as a materialist here, because obviously the religious people say our rights are given by God, but since God does not enforce the rights, and it falls on man to enforce those rights, no rights are given by man. Uh, rights I'm are not... always given by the people who are willing to enforce their rights. You right? seem really focused on enforcing. How else are you going to? I mean. You can it doesn't have to necessarily be violence. There can be things like social shunning or just making you feel bad by calling you an icky loser. Those <laughs> those are all ways to put pressure on someone, but there is no source of rights aside from telling people this is something you have to do and then enforcing that if they don't. Well, can't can't you just get together and say, hey, let's have these rights? Yeah, that's and how we get the rights don't, in the first place. Yeah, but then don't enforce it and people just... If Either do it or don't do it, but they still feel like they have the rights. If if it's not enforced, it's not really a right. It's just a. I am not. I'm not a legal scholar. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I apologize, but yeah, interesting topic. I'd like to learn more. I just. I. Uh, I don't know. Something feels weird about the whole need of enforcement part of it. Just kind of like with the value, like. Well, I mean, if, if you know if. That beautiful little little green metallic bee that I saw the other day that I was just mm-hmm. so in love with, mm-hmm. sharing the earth with this animal. Yeah. Um, well, it has value to you. Yes, but it has value, and it has value to itself, right? I suppose, but... But does it have rights? <laughs> Only the rights that other people are willing to uh, grant it and fight for. Well, if I gave it, if I gave it a right... To, to, like, I don't know, the right to be around me? Sure. Okay. Then that's this is very limited, in, very limited in scope. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I guess, I don't, I'm not sure what it means for it to have rights. Like, it has the right to access food? Like Sure, I the mean, right to the pursuit of of life and food and happy beeness. I mean... Happiness. If you were to <laughs> actually try to encode a right to pursuit of food uh, toward a bee, that would mean that... Anyone that you could influence that tried to obstruct the bee from getting their food, you would impose some sort of penalty on them. Well, or maybe I just just lash out at them for not um, respecting the bee's rights. Yeah, that's a penalty. (laughs) If they like you, then they will feel sad that you have lashed out at them. If they couldn't give two shits about you, then, you know, they're just annoyed at having to hear you yell, but... Unfortunately, that's the case with most people. <laughs> I think, I think and those kids at the bus stop who kept throwing rocks on those worms. Aww, oh, bad memories. Mm-hmm. What's that? Did you yell at them for being pricks? I, I cried. Oh, you didn't even give them a hard time? <laughs> I told them not to do it. Aww. Maybe they saw her crying and they felt really bad. As no, 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 as... I think that that was a reward for them. Oh, they are the bad kind of humans. Yeah, children. What are you going to do? Yeah, mm. children are the bad kind of humans. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> Kids are the worst. Um, there was one actually quick thought experiment I wanted to put to you. Uh-huh. Uh, to Enosh specifically, but you're welcome to take it. Uh, you mentioned that part of your, your reason, or maybe your entire reason for drawing a shelling fence at, at Homo sapiens for what gets included in the, in the, moral sphere kind of a priori mm-hmm. is because if you don't draw the line there, you get to weird places where like it's okay to kill mentally handicapped people and it's okay to 
I guess maybe not really necessarily good. okay, but not as bad as killing uh, someone who is more mentally sure. capable. Yeah. Um. So, but I mean, I think that's I guess this is kind of a pointless thought experiment. But it even being implicitly tied to the idea that I'm going to treat them equally. If you're in a burning building with two unconscious people, and one of them is Isaac Newton, and one of them is uh, I don't know somebody who was on the opposite spectrum end of the spectrum as Isaac Newton. Okay. Uh, who are you gonna Who are you gonna drag out? Are you gonna flip a coin? Are you gonna me personally? I'm yeah. gonna drag out Isaac Newton. Yeah, I, I have my own values. No, Isaac Newton's already dead. That's true. <laughs> that, that was the trick. <laughs> Damn it! I was trying to think of a smart person that would again. Uh, my first thought was fine when I was like, no, wait, he's dead too. So I just went for my, for my next go-to guy, which also I didn't bother to check is dead. So, um, yeah, you know, living to living, Bill Gates versus, uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> I might, I might make sure that Donald Trump is completely unconscious <laughs> before I go to rescue Bill Gates. <laughs> if I was, no, no, that's, I, that's, that's evil. If I was in a room with Osama bin Laden, Hitler, and Toby, and I had a gun with two bullets, I'd shoot Toby twice. <laughs> Who's Toby? It was on The Office. I never saw the show. I saw a couple episodes. He was the HR guy that uh-huh. uh, um, Steve Carell's character hated. Okay. And so he hated him enough that he was in the room with, with Hitler and Osama bin Laden. He'd shoot Toby twice. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and the thing is, when you are making those sorts of decisions, everyone will have some sort of criteria that they judge by if they can only pick one. Maybe it's whoever's younger. Maybe it's whoever's healthier. Maybe it's just whoever's prettier. Uh, or if they know the people, maybe it's the person they know. Sure. But illegally, um, they shouldn't be treated differently. That's a fair distinction that completely, do- that I think is a satisfactory, uh, reputation of the, th- of the, th- of the thought experiment. So, good enough for me. Alright. That particular one. Right. Oh yeah. There's many more. I'm sure someone will trip me up. Can I read you a question? Uh, yes. Some- someone will push you into somewhere repugnant with a thought experiment. It's just <laughs> gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Hanuman1871 was wrote us a lovely message and also posted on Reddit to our animals um, episodes. Inyash framed the debate as one in which, most likely, no one would convince anyone else of their position. If that is so, then from the perspective of people who strive to overcome bias, Inyash has already lost. <gasps> Unless... There is something very, there's some very compelling reason to do otherwise. We should always be correcting for an obvious bias like speciesism. Now, um, Edgar's email, which started the entire conversation, stated in part, it amuses me that you all had a discussion about whether animals want to live based on imaginings of what the insides of their minds might be like. It doesn't matter what answers you give. You're just making it all up. It's true. Edgar did say that. Mm-hmm. While it's true that we do not have a clear understanding of what it is like to be a non-human animal, it's equally true that you don't know what it's like to be any human being other than yourself. You're making it all up, in a sense, every time you try to act with consideration towards another person. And that's a good thing. If knowing for a fact what it's like to be someone else is the determining criterion for deciding whether or not to behave ethically, there will be no ethics whatsoever, because no one ever gets to be anyone besides themselves. This argument should be turned towards Inyash. Why do you have any ethical commitment to any human being other than yourself? Is it simply the instrumental value of that person towards your own happiness? And if humans have some value for you that is non-instrumental, then why not extend this towards all animals? Okay. So, um, 
First of all, I agree with him completely. And that is actually one of the reasons I take the positions that I do take, even though I guess he will find this, or they, sorry, even though I guess they will find this uh, possibly counterintuitive. Uh, not to get into solipsism here, because whenever something gets into solipsism, I check out of the conversation, because I consider solipsism bullshit, and I will not discuss it. Could you do a quick definition of solipsism for the listeners? Solipsism is the idea that we cannot know anything aside from our own thoughts, for certain. That the entire universe could be an illusion, that it could be the fact that no one else exists except for you, and uh, that no one can truly know anything. All right. Well, I guess that's all we need to know about that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so, yes, it is completely true that I do not know that any of you fuckers exist. Whoa. Yeah. Y'all might be some zombies or some robots sent here to trick me, and I could be the only actual person on the planet. Well, if I'm a robot, a tricky robot, I'm still a tricky robot. I'm still something. Right. Uh, and Just wanted to say that. Yeah. So uh, that that is entirely the case. And when I extend moral consideration to other things, I do so assuming that if someone can communicate like me and convince me that they're somewhat like me, that's good enough for jazz. Uh, and that is why I would extend uh, similar rights to a computer that could talk to me and convince me it's a person or an alien that I would meet. And that's one of the reasons I don't extend the same level of rights to animals, because they have not been able to communicate with me and convince me that they deserve that same sort of consideration. And when... I know. Katrina's shaking her head right now and giving me the evil eye. And when, uh... When he asks, what reason do I have to uh, extend rights to other people aside from their own worth to me, it's... It strikes me very much as the question that people ask, well, if you don't believe in God and the afterlife, why don't you just go around murdering everybody? And the answer is that, you know, I care about a lot of people, and I also care about myself, and there's this thing where if I were to go, uh, to try to, <laughs> to not extend moral consideration to other people, I would suffer greatly for that. That's, that's basically what all morality is, right? Is creating incentives for other people to be more pro-social, whether it's by giving praise to them for being considerate and nice, or whether it's by scorning them for being mean and rude, or, you know, even punishing them for doing things that are very antisocial. That's... That, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of desirism, which is a moral theory that was proposed by Alonzo Fife, and was actually where I met Luke Mulhauser, uh, online, met him, not in real life. Originally, we were both... Uh, somewhat active commenters on there before we both discovered less wrong. Um, Who's Luke Milhauser? Uh, he is a... Uh, he ran Common Sense Atheism before he shut that down. He works for Miri now as their director of something or another. All right, thank you for explaining. Sure. Luke Milhauser is also a guy who works at Miri um, and possibly does work with CIFAR. I'm not sure. I think he does. Okay. But I'm sure his Wikipedia page will correct us. But, yeah, uh, what I'm saying is there are many reasons that exist for me to be nice to other people and to grant them rights and to expect them to grant me similar rights in return, and that's how society works. And I don't know what else to say about it other than that. How about, how about this explanation? Inyash, what if you were just born with empathy that extended to other humans? Mm-hmm but didn't extend to non-humans. 
I want to back up that point by saying that's pretty much what I was going to say, that it's no coincidence that many of our ethical values line up with, like, evolutionary incentives. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, there's the punishment from other people if you were to go around killing people. But there's also, like, you would probably feel bad if you're an average person, and that makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? And as far as, like, not extending rights to animals, I did want to just mention really quick that we did extend, humanity did extend rights to great apes in Spain a few years ago. The the goal was to to that they that they had a right to live lives free of torture. And um, we do extend some rights to the animals that we tend to domesticate and study and uh, keep in our houses. There are sure. laws against animal cruelty in the U.S. for things like dogs and cats and the common domestic animals um, that are specifically applied to domestic animals and not evenly and yes. yeah and not um, enforced well. And all those are because the animals can't enforce them themselves and have to rely on the humans that care for them to enforce them for them, which is unfortunate, but it's the way it is. I just wonder if some people can't feel empathy for animals, and some people can. I think that's possible. I know I certainly feel less empathy for animals than I do for humans, but I don't know if that's learned or if that's innate, because apparently back in the day, a lot of people didn't have empathy for people that didn't look like them. If you were not of my tribe, you weren't really a person, and I could, you know, steal from you or kill you with impunity. Or enslave you. Or enslave you, yeah. Slaves were commonly considered property that you could do anything to or with. Yeah, I think... So it may be learned at the fact that we have empathy for all humans, and that, and for a, you know, greater amount of animals. I think that that's probably closer to the correct... to the truth that's actually out there, right? Um, as you said, that our... Our attitudes towards other humans have been have been growing in the, in what I would say is the right direction, but they've been growing more general of putting every human in the moral sphere, not just like your city, your skin color, your nationality. People who, who endorse those positions are typically frowned upon now, whereas they wouldn't have been, you know, in the past. Years ago. So it it does kind of raise the question though, if we were to just kind of skip ahead another century in progress, would we feel that same way about other Animals. I think it's possible. And I, th I think it's possible too. And I, I, I certainly don't think I was born with like an empathy for non-human animals as much as I was for human animals. Um, but it is the kind of thing that you can be reasoned into even if it's not like there for you to feel right away. But I, I do suspect that in a century we'll look back and be aghast at certainly at least how we treated great apes. Um, you know, whether or not in a century we'll be looking back and be like, I can't believe we did that to chickens. Maybe, probably, but I certainly would be very surprised if we weren't looking back in, in horror at how we treated uh, some animals at the very least. So, hmm. more, more time, I, I imagine that sphere will, will grow. Well, I mean, there's so, already a fair number of people that are horrified by how we treat animals. Yeah, and that's, Which is one of the indications that I think that's going to become more of a thing. There always have been. Yeah. But it's been growing. Yeah, well, here's hoping. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it might be possible to get some laws passed in the near future. Whereas a hundred years ago, that would have never happened. There's already a lot of anti-circus. Yes. Um, there are several countries in South America that have banned traveling circuses. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And the animals have been um, taken to sanctuaries, including one in our state of Colorado. I've been there. It's awesome. There's Wild Animal of, Sanctuary. Tons of happy sleeping bears. and yeah. Lions. Uh, lots of lions. Lots of lions. Mm -hmm. Other big cats. And... There was some other attraction there, too. And those were from Bolivia, I want to say? The bears? Um, or the, the lions. lions. Okay. Like, a lot of lions. I remember several of the bears were from a circus that shut down, I think, in Russia or one of the satellite states. Mm -hmm. 
one of them, well, I think it was one of the big cats, the, the tour guide was telling me was literally like, yeah, this was in someone's backyard. Yeah. Like they had it chained up. And like, yeah, there was, there was a couple of large animals that were seized from a drug lord of some kind. I mean, if you have, if you have a big enough empire where the animals have an acre to go play on, go for it. But like, right. don't, don't leave them in a cage in the garage. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, what we're I, saying is if you ever visit Denver, our wild animal, animal sanctuary is super awesome. Yeah, check it out. It's kind of far away. It's not. It's not exactly in Denver, but it's, right. it's worthwhile. If you're 45 miles northeast of Denver, you should check out the center. <laughs> <laughs> if you're willing to drive for an hour, an hour and a half, it's a little closer to the airport than it is to here. So that's true. All right. All right. Can I read you the next paragraph, please? From Hanuman, 1871. Oh, real quick, and um, the reason at the top that uh, I said we probably won't convince anyone of that is I don't think an hour is enough time. When I was religious, I had some very good arguments presented to me. Uh, for why I shouldn't be, but it still took me a number of months of processing and thinking to change my mind about that. I just don't think humans can update that quickly. But now that you're most good, humans, now that you're a good Bayesian, you should be able to update like that. Right? I, <laughs> you are not a good Bayesian. I'm not that no, good. None of us are. <laughs> We're working on it. I need to do more maths. Hmm. Um, actually, something that I wanted to ask you because hmm? you're talking about your shelling fence, yes, and um, how you have to use a shelling fence to separate humans and the animals because you use an intellectual complexity model for valuing animals. Mm-hmm. Since you yourself have admitted that it's irrational to do that, irrational then in the sense that. I think all humans should be valued equally, even though they aren't all in equally intellectually complex. Um, but not animals. Right. So there's a little bit of a double standard there. Okay. Um, so you said that that was irrational. Why then does that not cause you to go back and reconsider the way that you are valuing life um, instead of setting up your irrational shelling fence? Because... As a as a good rationalist. Alright, don't let this get out in public. Don't publish this anywhere where thousands of people might hear it. But Are you wait, I do Are you sure? Yeah. I, I do You want me to take this off? No, no. Uh, uh unless you think maybe we should afterwards. It, it's a bad enough confession. Talk to me. Okay, I do actually value humans differently based on how smart they are. Or by how intellectually complex. Not necessarily smart, because intellectually complex and smart are subtly different. Um and so I really do value babies and toddlers less and really brilliant people more than myself. Uh, but I don't think that that is a thing that people should make any sort of non-personal decisions around. It shouldn't aff- affect the legal system. It shouldn't affect moral rights. And that is why I consider all sapient creatures, which at this point, in my opinion, only con- uh, consist of humans, as far as we know, uh, equally for all those purposes. But in my own individual valuation, I do still value even humans on that gradient. What that is about... not like to murder. I think I'm in the same boat. No, wait. What about, uh, what about non-human animals that are more intelligent than, let's say, human toddlers? Yeah. Uh, of which there is at least some reason to believe that there are several species. Right. And at least individuals. I mean, it, it depends somewhat on who cares about them. If this toddler has parents, that's uh, important, or if the people that care about him, uh, then he means a lot to those people. Uh, but sometimes pets belong to people and mean a lot to those people as well, in which case I would also consider those pets more valuable because of the people that value them. 
There so is also our... something to be said for the fact that a toddler would eventually become a human and that the human race would go extinct if we got rid of all toddlers. So there, there's, there's okay. some, some future knock on effects. So we are, well. so once we get to species that are you, mm-hmm. right? That are humans that are very closely related and that you understand some of the complexity of, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's not about intellectual complexity only anymore. In terms of valuing, it's about who else cares about it. It's about oh, well, in, what the future is. It's about what the fallout is. In terms of animals, those are also the case, though, because I also value animals more if uh, other humans care about them. And I, a puppy is uh, less of less worth than a adult dog who is well-trained and can understand things. But on the other hand, a dog is never going to get any smarter than that once they're an adult whereas a human will continue to get smarter and become a full adult. So there's there's differences in comparing where they're going to get to within a lifetime. Okay. Does I'll that think, make sense? Yeah, I think that's Is that fine. consistent? Because you're giving me a look like you don't think it is. Well, you, you made some claims like that the only thing that mattered was intellectual complexity when mm-hmm. judging animals and mm-hmm. la la la. And I'm just trying to get you to admit that actually there are a lot of different things well, there are a lot of different there are a lot of there are a lot of different thing things going on in your head yeah. that you consider. Um, okay, I don't know if it's controversial to say that like like a chimpanzee is more important than a flatworm in really every single sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, a chimpanzee has things it cares about. It has things that it, it has fun. It you know has ch- parents and children that like look after it. And it looks after. To the extent that a, a flatworm has fun, it's probably less fun than a baby chimpanzee has. You know, so I mean, you can you can slide those scales to wherever you want and include whatever species in those scales you want, and uh, it it works out that on Earth right now, if you were to slide those dials, you know, you get some overlap with young humans and the mentally Ill, and the mentally handicapped humans, and then uh, you know humans rise above other animals on Earth when it comes to cognitive tasks that we find important. Um, are we, be- you know, there, there's something we said, like, we're not the best at swimming, or we're not the best at burying nuts and then finding them later or something. But at the things that we care about, you know, writing sonnets, painting paintings, building spaceships, we're the best at all that. So. Once um, we're not, though. Yeah, once we're not, then, like, it's, that's kind of that's thing. The, that's kind of the worry, right? Once the AIs are better than us at all that, do they matter more? One, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that is a that is a big topic. Maybe to say for another day. But the short answer would be yes. Yeah. Uh, the 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 one sentence, the non one word answer is, uh, it would sure be nice to build a super intelligence where the lights weren't on, right? Where it's basically a philosophical zombie, and it's just pumping, it's just moving information around, but mm-hmm. it's not uh, sentient in a way that like God would be sentient compared to us, right? right. Uh, but if it was, well, then you're suddenly the most important thing on earth, right? Yeah. Uh, I. I well, some, in terms of anyone being, like, the AI would, in my opinion, be more important than any one human. Sure. However, as an entire right. race, if it suddenly decided it was more important, then I think we really should team up and uh, give it some negative reinforcement to, to not kill us. Well, I mean, that's the, that's, the same, <laughs> that's the same situation with the flatworm and the chimpanzee. Chimpanzees, sadly, are uncommon mm. to the point that... If all flatworms were destroyed, it would have a much larger impact on the world, more important impact on the world than if all chimpanzees were destroyed yeah. in, in terms of what the 
what the fallout would be. But of course, when you guys come up with examples, it's always (laughs) one-to-one. I think it's because including the externality of the ecosystem at large wasn't something that I considered until we talked about it and something I'm trying to do more because it's, mm-hmm. it's nonsense. It's, it's a bad habit of thought experiments to make it uselessly simple in a way that, you know, is a great intuition pump, but doesn't really lead to anything in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, good thought experiments aren't like that. And good thought experiments, uh, include externalities like, yeah. So, you know, like in, in your situation of, um, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, or in any situation, you know, if you, if you run into a bil- burning building, you step on the flatworm to cha- save the chimp, right? right? Right. And you might even run past somebody that you, you, you might run past the average street civilian to rescue Bill Gates because Bill Gates's probable net impact on the world afterwards is higher than some random muggle. And, but that doesn't mean that in the real world, you wouldn't feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something that like thought experiments don't really work on, you know? So like, you know, would you push the fat man on the trolley? It's like, yeah, but I feel really bad about pushing it. Um, I think, and, I think that they work on that. Well, but the, 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 that's sort of one of the first ones to like, kind of not the first ones, but it's, it's one of the popular ones that pushes on that actual point. Right. Mm-hmm. But in other ones, you know, the, the, uh, a good example, you know, would you, would you grab a, um, if you're in a burning building with yourself and some random baby and a Picasso painting worth a $50 million. You grab the baby. Do you grab the Picasso? Because imagine how many lives you can save when you sell it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, that's, I, think that's, I think that's a great point. You know, so like, you're literally... Do you get position. to keep the Picasso? Yeah, though? why in the world would you get to keep the Picasso? Say it's yours, I don't know. Um, say, say you had this. <laughs> and it was I am obviously save. not the sort of person that sells the Picasso to save people. I mean, so... so at, at, <laughs> I know what at, you're trying to risk, say. At the risk of dumbing yeah. down this thought experiment to making it useless, I think the... The, the best answer is you bite the bullet and say, look, I can save, I can save this one baby, or I can save what's 3,500 divided by 50 million, or 50 million divided by 3,500, right? Right. That many babies. So, uh, that might make you the kind of person that most other humans don't want to be around. And though. that, that is the kind of thing that that thought, that that thought experiment when properly delivered doesn't really consider the fact that I wouldn't be able to live with myself having yeah. heard that baby scream to death while I carried this painting safely out of the room. So, uh, while it has a correct answer, save the painting, I think it's the correct, the correct answer because you can save more babies with it. But, uh, there is something to be said about the kind of person you would be to be okay doing that and the kind of society we'd be if we were encouraging that sort of behavior, right? So uh, the painting allows you to redirect somebody else's wealth. Or, yeah. Into, into saving more babies. Yeah. In a, in a, in a way that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. I mean, you can, you can get rid of the Picasso painting and whatever, just however it needs to be. It's something that you have that is worth a lot of money, but it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not actual human babies, but it's potential human babies. Right? I see what you're saying. That seems like the wrong answer, but I don't have an answer as to why right off the top of my head. Actually, Will McCaskill had a good comeback. He had this mm-hmm. in a debate a few years ago. Um, and he's like, all right, so imagine that I'm in a room with a Picasso and one burning baby. And right across the street is another burning building full of a hundred babies. And the Picasso is the only thing I can use to jam the door open on the other buildings to let all those babies out. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that's closer to the actual real world situation that we're actually in, right? You can save one person for a fortune, or you could use that fortune to save a hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. So I think that that that's that's what it wants to get at. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not just biting the bullet. It's kind of like deflecting it, right? Mm-hmm. Right back at you. It's like, no, look, you're going to say you're going to kill those hundred people for this one. That's mm-hmm. fucked up. 
So that that's sort of the turnaround on it. So I think that that is closer to the real world situation there. And yeah, you're you know, just I cannot remember why we got on thought experiments in the first place. I know it's totally, t- totally off topic. And um, when you have a thought experiment, you shouldn't come up with ways that you can get around the thought experiment. See, because person, that's not what they're for. To the person who asked why we don't dive down the interesting topics when they're raised, that's why. Because you spent 10 <laughs> minutes talking about burning babies and Picasso's. Well. I agree. I, I, I couldn't sit I guess briefly, life. because this this will, I can tie this back into what we said earlier. Or what I said earlier, anyway. Uh, Westward 101 also had the question, uh, or the statement, that there is a difference between a simulated being and a real-world one, in quotes that while humans may be able to map the neurons of a roundworm, we can't create a real-world one. Uh, so as a test, I substitute myself for roundworms, and I would not want a real-world version of myself killed, even if there was a perfectly good simulated copy running on silicon. Thanks, Westward. Yeah. I think we, we talked about that a little bit. Yes, there's definitely a difference between a simulated being and a physical being, and obviously... So it would not be an equivalent exchange to kill one for the other. Right. Uh, but I, I asked him this because we covered that, you know, before that the consent matters whether when you're killing one for the other. But I asked him why, because I sometimes get this objection. Why does what material the person is made of make a difference? Like, why is the wet carbon-based animal or person superior to a dry silicon-based one? And he had a longer answer that he went into, but... He originally answered that he thinks the person proposing what happens on silicon has an equivalent uh, that proposes that what is happening on silicon has an equivalent value to reality should have the burden of proof and not the other way around. And what evidence do I have that what happens in silicon matters? And uh, my answer matters, period. Yeah, at all. And my answer would be that I have as much evidence that what happens in silicon matters as I do that any of you are alive and thinking and matter at all. And that is only that I can talk to you and it seems like you matter. Because there is no, as far as I know, uh, and I would be shocked to hear if we have an objective test for consciousness yet, there is no way to tell if something is conscious or experiences qualia in any way. And so you would, I would determine if something is as important in silicon as it is in the real world based on whether it acts like the thing the real world does. I don't think that consciousness is a very useful yeah. idea. Right. So if I were to talk, in, to talk to a computer which said she is, you know, Katrina derivative and acted exactly like Katrina and I couldn't tell her apart from Katrina, I'd say like, well, I guess I should probably value your life uh, like I would Katrina's, at least uh, theoretically, since you seem to be the same kind of thinking person. I think that making the, the assumption that there's nothing magic about the squishy stuff between our ears isn't like the proposition that needs defending. Uh, so like to say that the burden of proof is on set is on the person who would generalize, uh, any computational process to any substrate seems like saying it's on, it's on you to, to prove to me that the moon landing hoax wasn't faked. Right. Right. Like, no, it's on you to prove that it was, you, you, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know how you, this seems kind of obscure since it's two future hypothetical scenarios, but, uh, one would challenge current best guesses at reality and one wouldn't, right? So whichever one seems by what we can agree is technologically feasible, that seems to be the one that needs to be depending on saying, no, if you're running on, on chips, you're not real or you're not a person, but if you're running on squishy stuff, you are. That doesn't seem 
sensical to me. Right. Uh, Westward did make an addendum uh, to that, saying that um, it's easier to reproduce someone that is on silicon, and it's as far as we know, there is no way to reproduce a biological person so far. So uh, ease of reproducibility is a factor, which is one reason they would uh, value the biological thing somewhat more. Uh, like, well, I guess that's a point. I mean, if there's all uh, we walk, have right? no idea how easy it is to reproduce stimul- simulated people, right? Since we don't have any, right? It would probably be easier than I guess. Yeah, we can begin that up in the air, but uh, I imagine it would be just as easy as doing a data dump and moving it onto a flash drive or a bigger, you know, another computer or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe maybe it does take a prohibitively large amount of space. But I don't know why that would necessarily be the case. Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, are we done? Star Trek. I think we're done. Okay. Thank you all thank for you, joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for the feedback. Um, as always, you can write us feedback on our subreddit, Bayesian Conspiracy subreddit, and you can come see our blog post that's com, or write us at BayesianConspiracyPodcast at gmail.com. That's all the ways. And at our website, there are lots of links with every episode to... Supporting things and interesting articles. Yes, uh, do check it out. If you find the conversation just, uh, you know, stimulating or fun and two weeks isn't enough, well, there's plenty to read by coming to the, to the website and clicking around some of those links. We always try to post enough to keep you busy. So, uh, until right. next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.